You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you in part by clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonapussy are DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. You can shop now at clonawilly.com and if you use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you'll get 20% off site-wide. Wow, that's an offer that cannot be cloned. So if you want to get your own DIY Clonawilly molding kit, you can shop there right now. And be sure to use DARKPOD at checkout. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. This is an offer that cannot be cloned. Get it now. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I just want to do a bit of a longer ad because I have something that I want to share with you today. So my friends, Melanie and Wallace, from a little organization in Ontario called T6 Talk, reached out to me because they are doing a a two-phase survey with the University of Guelph, the Shore Center, and their organization, T6 Talk. They're disability advocates, and they're doing this this survey with these organizations to talk about sexual health and disability specifically why everyone wants to talk about sex and disability but nobody knows how to start the conversation and so they are putting out a survey a two-part survey phase one goes until the end of december 2023 and phase one talks to people living in canada who have access to or who provide attendant care services. They want to talk to these groups of people in Canada to understand what it would be like to have sexual health training for care providers and people who provide care to disabled folks. So I recently did this survey with them and I talked about my experiences being a sexual being and needing care supports and what that would be like to have sexual health assistance as part of my care plan and how important that would be for me. And they want to talk to disabled Canadians who, who need care and, and what it would be like for them to have sexual health care as part of their care plan and what it's like for them to not have sexual health care as part of their care plan to really move this conversation forward and it's so important that I think that uh, that sexual health care be part of attendant care programs and we never really talk about it so here's what you can do to reach out to them if you're a Canadian and you want to take part in this survey you can email Melanie and Wallace at t6talk that's t and the number six talk at gmail.com and you can let them know you want to be a part of the survey. Or you can email me directly at andrew at andrewgerza.com. 
and let them know you want to be a part of the survey. Currently, this is only open to Canadians with disabilities. So if you're listening from the Great White North, please reach out to me. This is so important. And your input will help ensure that we can look into getting sexual health supports as part of attendant care plans. This is so critically important and so under-talked about that I felt it was important to do an ad for this. So again, if you want to be part of the survey, which will take about 40 to 80 minutes, and you'll get a chance to win a $25 prepaid gift card, one of 40, if you want to be a part of that, please email t 6 that's T and the number six talk at gmail.com. I'll put it in the show notes. You can do that as well. Or you can email me at andrewandandrewgerza.com and just say you want to be part of the sexual health survey and I'll pass it along to them. Please consider doing this if you live in Canada. This kind of research is so underfunded and so under talked about that I just couldn't let the episode start today without bringing this to your attention. Thank you, friends. Thank you. Bye. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to the show, friends. My name is Andrew Gerza, and I am your... Deliciously Disabled Daddy, your number one queer cripple. I'm all these things. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the show started, shall we? Just a couple housekeeping notes. I've decided that I want to keep the momentum of the show going and I want to just do more with it. And I decided to move our regular show to once every week again. So I'm going to try to do a weekly thing again. I just, I've just been feeling invigorated. Like I wanted to take this on and bring new life to it and bring new life for it to me. Um, and so I just want to let you know that once a week you'll hear the show as per regular. And we're, gonna, we're going to put Popcorn and Power Chairs as part of the regular show. So you'll hear it as like a regular episode on the weekly feed. That way I can still keep doing everything. And we may still have many series here and there. But for now I wanna just keep it as regular. You might get you might get weeks of popcorn and power chair if I feel like it. Who knows? I'm the boss. I can do what I want. So we'll see how that goes. But you'll hear the show once a week now. And there'll be weeks where I take off and take a break. But for the most part, it'll be a weekly show again. So let's try that for a while, shall we? And thank you for your patience as I figure out what kind of schedule works for me and my body. And if I have to go to another two-week schedule for a while, I'll do that because I'm able to. But for now, I want to do it once a week because it's fun for me. So let's um, just wanted to do that housekeeping note. I also wanted to let you know that if you want to be in the show, I would love to have you. Please send me an email at andrewandandrewgerza.com and let me know why you think you should be a guest in the show. I would love to have you. 
I sent out an email to, or uh, no, an Instagram note to a bunch of people the other day, and they wrote back with a bunch of ideas for people and guests and their own story, and that's really cool, and thank you. I would love to have you on the show, though. So if you're listening, and also if you've done a show with me and it's been like two years since we recorded and you haven't heard it yet, reach back out to me and let's re-record because I want to honor your time and I value you, and let's, um, let's start fresh. Let's do a new interview. So some of you that have already recorded with me that I haven't released the episode, I'll be reaching out to you to say, let's re-record, let's start again, let's start fresh. And yeah, that's my, those are my notes, those are my um, notes. Also, oh, other note, other big note, I am working on my book, Notes from a Queer Cripple. It's a, it's a cross between a memoir and a self-help book on how to be a queer cripple and how to find joy while also embracing your queer cripple identity. So excited. I'm on, I'm on working on chapter three as we speak. Well, to be honest, I haven't really started chapter three yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Probably by the time you listen to this, I will be at least somewhere in chapter three, but I'm not there yet, but soon, soon. But I'm really excited about that, and that's what I'm doing um, when I'm not doing this or doing social media. I'm writing a book. So very, very excited about that. And stay tuned for more news on Notes from a Queer Cripple coming soon. But now, let's get to today's show. One of the things I love the most about doing this show and doing this program is the platform that I have to talk with different disabled folks about different parts of their lives and to share their stories with you and get them to share what they're going through and what disability feels like for them. And that's one of my favorite things that I've ever done with this program is to give other people a chance to share their story and to shine a light on things we don't talk about in the disability community. And that's what we're kind of going to do today. Today is a big, big episode, so I want to give you a content warning. This episode will talk about death, we'll talk about disability, we'll talk about medical assistance and dying. So if you don't want to listen to that, I fully understand. And you can feel free to skip this episode. But this is an important episode about that, and let me explain to you why. I got to speak with one of my friends, April Hubbard, today, who recently made the decision to apply for MAID in Canada, which is also called Medical Assistance in Dying. She decided that it was time for her to consider the pain she was in, consider her quality of life, and she decided to, she has decided to end her life and choose medical assistance in dying to end her life. This is not an episode that I ever thought I would do, but she posted on social media a few weeks back that she had made this decision and she made, it was a public decision that she had thought about privately for months and months on end and and she realized that she didn't want to be in pain anymore. She didn't want to hurt anymore. She didn't want to lose the quality of her life. Now, uh, if you're listening from the States, Medical assistance in dying is very similar to that of death with dignity, where it is medically assisted. Medical assistance in dying really is what it is. And and a lot of people in Canada have varying views on this, myself included, because 
we as disabled folks are have been worried that disability would be used to or this sorry not disability this law medical assistance in dying would be used to harm disabled folks and a lot of us were very worried about that but then I spoke with April today and April really told me kind of the human perspective of her journey with medical assistance in dying why she decided to do it she describes the pain that she's in and every day and what it meant for her and how she lost quality of life and what that's been like for her um, we talk about the different type the different tracks of medical assistance in dying we talk about her journey in the system trying to access medical assistance in dying and she really opened up a conversation and had vulnerability like I've never had with anybody before on this show where we talk about something that was really hard to talk about and I have to tell you when we were recording tonight I literally wanted to cry three or four times because she was so honest with her journey and it just made me it was hard to watch a friend a disability colleague someone that I really care about tell me they have made this decision but when you think about that she made the decision for herself so that she could be free at one point in the interview she calls for her medical assistance in dying a gift and it was really really powerful and I felt that this conversation was so so important to, to have with you and I checked with her before we recorded and I said you know is this okay is this something that you want to share with the world and she said it's important that my words live on even after I'm gone and she says that in the interview and it was so powerful and I think for disabled folks who are in pain and who are suffering and who are thinking about medical assistance and dying this is an important conversation and for disabled folks who are listening who are like I don't know why the governments are allowing this this is an important conversation I think that to humanize this conversation is so critically important and April does such a beautiful job of it here and I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation I know that her words will live on long after she's gone and I am so thankful and honored that I got to sit down with my friend April Hubbard to talk about medical assistance in dying today. So, once again, I'm going to give you a big, large trigger warning that we're going to be talking about disability and death today. If you don't want to listen any further, that's okay. For the rest of you, get ready for my important, profound, necessary interview with my friend April Hubbard right here on Disability After Dark. April Hubbard, hello. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm so happy you're back on Disability After Dark. It's been a couple of years, but I'm so glad we're finally chatting. It's been a stretch, but I'm glad I can be here and always great to have a conversation with you. It's such a pleasure and you're one of my favorite people, so I'm glad we're here. We're here to talk about something today that is really hard. And it's really, it, it's something that I never thought I would talk to somebody about on the show, honestly. And here we are. And I have all the feelings about it because you're a friend of mine. You're somebody that I look up to in our disco community. Um, You're somebody that I look up to in, in the work that you do in the arts community in Halifax. 
um, and to know to know kind of what we're wading into today. Oh wow, I don't know how I feel about it. I feel I feel grateful and honored to get to have the space with you, um, and to know that that everyone else listening will have the space with you. But also, kind of mad that our system put you put. I have so many feelings. I don't. I don't want to color it with my my feelings. I want to get to yours. So for the people out there, can you introduce yourself to Disability After Dark and tell us who you are and what you do? So my name is April Hubbard. I use she/her pronouns. Uh, I am a queer, disabled, mad uh, performer, woman, uh, artist, advocate. Um, that spent my whole life in Nova Scotia or most of my life in Nova Scotia. Um, and yeah, I am here today in a slightly different lens than most of our previous conversations have been around either disability advocacy or disability sexuality. Uh, I'm here because I've made the decision that I'm going to be accessing made for myself. Um, and like you said, that comes with so many emotions and a lot of those emotions have been hitting me all at once since I've made that decision. Um, but I think it's really important to be able to talk about them openly and have these conversations. Yeah. Um, and for people in the States who are listening, made is kind of like dying with dignity, not entirely the same thing though. I don't think, um, I didn't, I haven't done any research on dying with dignity, but I'm pretty sure they're similar. Yeah, so uh, MADE stands for Medical Assistance in Dying, um, and it came about here in Canada in 2016 um, under a limited scope, uh, but at that point it was only available to people whose death was reasonably foreseeable. So uh, what's changed in more recent years here in Canada um, in 2021, uh, Bill C-7 was passed, which allowed people to access medical assistance in dying, even if their deaths were not reasonably foreseeable. Um, And for me, that brought a lot of peace of mind, honestly. Um, Being somebody who's been disabled my entire life and been uh, dealing with chronic pain for the last 25 years of my life, I always kind of had a feeling that at some point, uh, medical assistance in dying or dying with dignity, because in the earlier years, that was the only word we had for it. I knew I'd be accessing uh, help in dying from the medical system at some point when it got bad enough for me. Uh, but I never really knew what that would look like and when it would happen. Um, yeah, so it was more so always a when will it happen and how much will I have to fight in the moment to allow it to happen? Uh, because growing up for so many years, it was illegal in Canada. Um, so I knew I would have to to fight the medical system in a different way than I had been all along to try to find comfort and try to find peace. I remember when we had, when we either it was a Facebook post or a social media post a couple of years ago, I remember you had said that you gone, you went to the hospital for something. And they offered it to you, just, they they said, oh, have you thought about me? And at the time you were like, oh, you're not gonna, you're gonna offer that to me and not have, not offer me support. I think that, that was a post that you had made. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think most folks with disabilities, um, at least according to most of the anecdotes I've heard from a lot of my friends, um, have had the thought suggested to them at one point, whether it's overtly used as, oh, here, made is another option, or uh, whether, whether they kind of hint at, well, it must be really difficult, so maybe there's other ways that you'd want to consider without really saying what those other ways might be. Yeah, um, yeah I, I haven't had a lot of experiences off, actually with it being offered to me personally, um, but it was always made very clear to me in the healthcare system that they didn't think the life I had was valuable enough um, and that they didn't think that I should want to keep fighting and continue fighting. Um, and I made it very clear every time when that was even hinted at that I have a great life now um, and made it clear what that bright, great life was and how I had built it for myself um, and that it wasn't something I wanted at that point. Uh, but it was always an option on the table that I knew that would come. Um, so I'm, I'm glad it's been there uh, and that it is out there as a possibility for That's, everyone. You know, hearing you say that puts it in a different perspective for me because I think when we see it on social media and when we see it talked about in the Twitter, and, and I am, I'll be totally upfront, I'm 100% guilty of doing this too. I'll tweet stuff like, well, why would you, why would you offer made when you could offer social supports or like, I, I've definitely done that, but hearing you say it so plainly and saying, you know what, I'm so, I'm so thankful that this is offered to me. It breaks my heart at, in one way, but also is like, you know what, if this is what she needs to be all right, then I, then I, how can I not support it? I think that the scary thing with Bill C-7 in Canada when we all saw it come out was the way it was rolled out was like, okay, wait a minute. How is it being done? And who is talking about it? And how is it being supported? And and so I, I felt scared that like eventually, whether I wanted it or not, somebody was going to be like, oh, here's me, do this. It's just easier. Because in my life as a severely disabled person, in most instances, whatever was easier, they pushed me towards. And so my biggest fear is like, oh, I'm going to be 55 one day. I'm going to be getting up there. And, and all of a sudden, they're going to say, oh, care supports are too hard. Do this. And so for me, like, that's scary. But I think I kind of like how you've said, and I didn't, I've only known you for a few years, but I didn't know that. And I would never have thought that for most of your life, you kind of had that feeling in the back of your mind, like, this is going to be my, I'm probably going to use end of life. And that's, again, makes me really sad because I love the person you are, but it's not about me. It's about what you need. And so like that's, so let's back up a little bit. How did you get to, how did you, when it came time to really sit down and think about it, what was it like when you're like, okay, I made the decision? Um, yeah, well, going back just a little bit first, um, yeah, I, I always wanted to, there to be a comforting option for me. And to the point that before made existed, uh, for 20 years, every single move that I had, um, I packed up and moved and it was one of the first things I unpacked and put in the back of the closet where nobody would find it. It's what was called an exit bag. 
Because to me, if I wasn't going to be able to die peacefully in hospital the way I wanted to, um, that was my my last resort that I was going to find a way that I could decide when I was going to, to end my own suffering. And that was my only option at the time. Um, and I won't go into a lot of detail on what that is because that's not what it's about today, but it was a, an option for me to choose when I was going to end my own suffering. Um, and it wasn't until about, uh, 2019 when the whole, uh, Supreme Court ruling happened that uh, MAID should not be only available to folks whose death was reasonably foreseeable, but I felt confident enough to get rid of that exit, exit bag and say, it's coming soon for me and my healthcare system and my government have seen that I have the right to choose when my suffering is going to end. Um, so yeah, that was an extremely comforting uh, option to me to have that, um, but it still felt very far off at that point. Um, I've had chronic pain, like I said, for about 25 years. Um, right. And that's always something that there were stretches and moments where it was very difficult to deal with and where I lost a lot of quality of life. But I could always see a moment where it was going to go back to some standard or I'd find a way to adjust to a new normal and that that would be okay for me and I'd be able to keep going. Um, and then about a year ago, I had a series of changes in my health. Uh, it actually was November of 2022. A uh, series of quick changes in my health where a lot of different symptoms that I had all started to worsen at the same time. And some of that was pain. Uh, a lot of it was skin breakdown issues uh, where just I I wake up in the middle of the night with a big piece of my skin falling off my back just from contact with the couch or the bed um, and have extreme bleeding from that and a lot of different difficulties with just dealing with skin issues all along. Uh, at the same time, a lot of my digestive issues got a lot worse and I developed really big, really bad gastric bleeds and um, yeah, be choking on my own blood and not able to swallow food and process that at all. Um, and all of these things changing all at once, I started to realize that even if I can work really hard and get one of these symptoms under control, there's still going to be so many more that are diminishing my, my quality of health and meaning that I can't get out anymore and do the things I want to and be involved in society in the way I want to and advocate in the way I want to. So I started to realize that I have to start looking at make, applying to MAID and making the choice and making sure everything's in place for when it does get bad enough um, that I don't have to wait any longer and that I can say now's the time. And so, yeah, started uh, in early 2023, making all the applications and telling the first few people who needed to know and working through the, the mountain of red tape that it took uh, to actually get to the place where I am now. As much as you you want to, and feel free to tell me no. Uh, you know when you when you made the decision, how did you tell yourself? Was it a sense of calm and relief, or was it like, was it all the emotions all at once, all together happening? 
at first it was really logical for me. It was just, this is something that I feel I need to move forward in. And there wasn't a lot of emotion that came with it. It was just a very logical, this is my next step. And what do I have to do to move forward to in that? Uh, so there wasn't a lot of emotion. Uh, when the emotion started coming more was after I told my sister and my partner and they were starting to support me in that. Um, and I was starting to go back into the healthcare system in a more extreme way by having to navigate the made process. I started having uh, a lot more anxiety and fear just being connected to the healthcare system again, because I had kind of managed to find my way out of it as much yeah. over the years. And also feeling like I was having to keep a secret in a lot of ways. There were only two people in my life who knew um, for this first six months, really, um, as I started navigating the process. And that felt really lonely to start thinking about my own death and what that would look like and not be able to really talk to many people about it. And for them not to have a larger support network to so support them through, uh, through these discussions as well, I felt like I really needed to to start um, being more open and honest about it. And so what, and again, tell me as much as you're comfortable with, what was it like telling your partner and your sister? Like, how do you, how do you have those conversations with like, like when I picture that me having to do that to, with my family, I, I can't, my brain can't even get there. How did you have the strength to, to be like, Hey sister, Hey partner, look, this is what I want knowing that you would only not have to then carry your own fears and grief around it, but watch them kind of process the same things. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky because I had had a lot of conversations around death and my health with my family and friends over the years already. So a lot of the groundwork was already laid and nobody was really surprised by the fact that, uh, that this was something I wanted uh, because we had talked about in very frank, just having very frank discussions about what I saw my death looking like. And um, yeah, that, that made would probably be the way at some point. Um, so although the conversation itself and saying the words out loud made me nervous, uh, it wasn't a huge surprise to anybody especially since at that point they had already seen me really suffering uh, physically for several months um, yeah. and seen the change happen. Uh, I had not been able to work or leave my apartment for a few months at that point. And, and they knew how bad it was getting. They knew how, how much I was suffering. So although it hurt for them to hear the words that I want to die, I'm going to be dying and this is what I need from you to support me in that. It wasn't the first time they had heard those words. Yeah. And it made it all a little bit easier in the long run. And although there were a lot of tears, um, almost everybody I've told so far has has said, I understand. I can see that. I, I know that you fought and you're not just going into this lightly, I know you've considered this thoroughly and for years. See, until I read your post, quite honestly, I didn't know you had thought I did. I what? Cause we were obviously like social media friends and we've 
only worked together a little bit when I was in Halifax a couple years ago. So I didn't know that you had thought about this so clearly. So when I saw your post, I was initially like, oh no, my friend. Like, I mean, it's like, oh no. But then I was like, stop, think, like, don't make it. It's not about you right now. It's about what April needs. And it, I, when I read your post, I, I cried. And then I texted you to be like, what, how, like, what can I do? But I was also like, can't do anything. I'll have to do all I can do is say, good for you. You made your choice. And that's great. And you know, we think about when we talk about made on social media or dying with dignity, we always are kind of pigeonhole into a side. And it sounds like for you, you know, there's no side that you're being pigeonholed into. You're like, I just don't want to be in pain anymore. And you know, I can't who can falter that? I, who can say that that's a bad thing? Who wants to be in pain or worried about choking or worried about your skin coming off or worried about the things, the really scary parts about disability that are only going to get worse? That's So when you think, when I think about it that way, I think, good for you. I think you're, you're, you're beating the beast before it beats you. Like, like you're, you're, and you're taking charge of your own stuff. And so as much as the other side of me wants to be like, wow, let's look at social supports. What can we do? Like, I'm sure. And it sounds like you've tried all of that. You've mm-hmm. been on those roads and they're just more and more no. So I, again, I want, one part of me wants to scream no. The other part's like, I have no right to do that. You, you, and none of us do. You have the right to say, this is what I want. And I kind of applaud you for saying, this is what I want to do with my body because I'm done. And not that you're done with the, pe- the people that you care about. You're just no. done with the pain in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, especially in the disability community, but I think this is true everywhere. Um, one of the big fears people have around made is just misunderstanding. And yes, as a person with a disability, I'm the first one to admit that made will be offered to a lot of people with disabilities. I don't deny that in any way. Uh, It's seen as an option, an easy way out for a lot of folks in the medical community. Um, And it's seen as the only option for a lot of folks with disabilities. But the misunderstanding, I think, comes in with not understanding the safeguards that are already there and all the red tape I had to go through in order to get access to this, it's can not you, that. Can you explain some of those safeguards to the people that are like, what are they? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, first of all, I'll I'll break down the two tracks of MAID. So uh, when MAID first started, there was only track one, which meant um, your death had to be reasonably foreseeable. So I myself would not qualify for that because although I have all of these serious medical conditions, many of which will kill me, or at least could kill me, they can't say that my death is coming soon or can't point to a date and say, this is your expected timeline. Uh, So then in 2022, with Bill uh, C7 passing, that allowed for track two as well, which has all the same requirements for MAID. Um, And I'll actually see if I can find the exact wording in my paperwork here. Let me see. So uh, your medical condition must cause enduring suffering that is intolerable 
and cannot be relieved by any treatment that you consider acceptable. Uh, and you must be offered other supports as well. Uh, and the only difference with track two is that uh, your death doesn't have to be reasonably foreseeable. So you have to have the suffering um, and you have to be offered other treatments or other options. Um, right. But your death has, doesn't have to be re reasonable. No. Sorry, let's try that again. Your death doesn't have to be reasonably foreseeable for track two. Um, and the difference there is there's a 90 day mandatory waiting period. So even after I had all of my approvals, uh, I had to wait 90 days before I'm actually able to access it. So the way the process works is I put in a request saying that I'm interested in MAID, uh, and then nurses from the local, nurses or doctors from the local MAID clinic will contact me, and I need two individual assessors. Um, so they sent me my first assessor, they came right to my home, sat down with me and my partner, had our first conversation, asked a lot of questions, um, and really got to know me and got to know my story. Uh, and it was honestly the best experience I've ever had in the healthcare system. I've never felt so heard and understood. Um, they asked questions like, well, do you have anxiety or depression? And I was like, yes, I have anxiety or depression, but that's not why I'm choosing this. I've always had anxiety and depression. I'm not looking at this as a way out or a way to stop that pain. I'm looking at it because I don't have a quality of life anymore and I don't get to do the things that I used to enjoy all along. And to me, that's not living, uh, not being able to to get out and make art and not being able to have quality conversations with my friends a lot of days uh, and not being able to eat anymore a lot of days. That's not a quality of life that I want to continue long-term. Yeah. So, and the assessor was like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think you've really thought about this. Um, so yeah, it was just an amazing process. I didn't feel I had to hide anything. Uh, I, I could talk about all my medical conditions I, without feeling judged. I could talk about the fact that I was gay and poly and introduced by my partners and they were fine with that. And yeah, for so many years in the medical system, I've had to really question what information I'm going to give out. And I have never felt that in the MAID process. It was really, really isn't amazing. It, isn't it both beautiful and tragic all at the same time that the best conversation you had in the medical system as a disabled queer person was when you were being assessed for me. Like, it's, exactly. like it's, yeah. I'm so happy you had that and it's so affirming. And I'm, I'm, I think that's important, but I'm also like, that is not shocking, but also I'm shocked that I'm not shocked by it. The, the best conversation you had yeah. around who you are is when you're being assessed for made. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really amazing moment, but also felt really sad in a lot of ways that I had to wait this many years to feel seen in the Canadian healthcare system. And it's by the person who's offering me a way to die. Um, yeah, it's, it's strange, but not surprising to me in a lot of ways. But I'm really glad I finally got to see that at least and and got to see that it's the system is changing in slow ways, even if it's 
only in 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 small incremental ways. So yeah, getting back to the process, I had my first assessment um, after some more conversations with this individual. Uh, they signed off and gave me my first approval. Uh, and then I was passed off to a second healthcare provider um, to start the process all over again. You have to do that same assessment with a healthcare provider who has not spoken to the first assessor at all. So it's very independent. Um, you're, I'm explaining all my conditions and thoughts and feelings on it all over again. Uh, and one of those two assessors has to be a healthcare professional who uh, is an expert in whatever condition you have. Um, so for example, because I have a lot of neurological conditions, um, that was one of my assessors had to be somebody with training in the neurological field. Um, the second assessor was much more regimented. They spoke to every doctor that I've seen for the last decade um, and some that I'd seen long before that. Uh, they, yeah, looked into everything. They pushed for me to go through a lot of medical testing, which I didn't feel was necessary at all. Um, I did push back on a lot of that. Uh, and we kind of found a, a middle ground that they felt comfortable with. Um, but I did have to go through a lot more medical testing to prove where I was at. Um, and yeah, after that second, uh, assessor, had finally considered everything they wanted to, which for that assessor, it was about three months. Um, they finally signed off as well. Uh, and I had to wait the 90 days on top of that uh, so to make sure that I didn't change my mind in any way. Right. The first assessor was how long? Uh, the first assessor was pretty quick, honestly, compared to most of the other folks I've talked to. It was probably about a week to 10 days from when I started talk, talking to them to when they signed off. Okay, so then 90 days and then another 90 days. So it's about realistically seven months. Yeah. And not to say that everybody who goes through the MAID process takes that amount of time. I have heard of shorter, uh, shorter lengths of time, for sure. Uh, a lot of it depends on your condition uh, and where you are. Uh, but... For somebody who's in track two, the minimum amount of time you can take is 90 days. For me, it was about seven months. See, to me, that feels fast. But again, knowing how painful disability can be sometimes, and I have gut stuff too, not to the same degree, but I have IBS, I have mm -hmm. neurogenic bowel, I have things that are really hard to deal with. Like I, The more I listen to to kind of what you've had to go through, medically um and think about that i'm kind of just like yeah i get it. like if i couldn't eat and i'm struggling with you know again not in the same way at all but i'm struggling to eat sometimes with my my neurogenic bowel mm -hmm. and i can't eat my favorite things and it's sometimes really depressing that i'm like I, I want i want this thing and i can't and to like for you you were saying that you couldn't eat because you would choke or there would be like that's scary. I can imagine that's really terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it. it's really scary for sure. And especially not knowing how quickly it's going to change again in the future. Because a year ago, I was, well, 13 months ago, 
I was still traveling the world. I was still working full time and doing advocacy full time. I was still, uh, yeah, doing all kinds of things and living a really full life. Um, and it changed so quickly and it continues in the last 13 months to have changed so quickly again and again that my real fear was if I don't start this process now, I'm going to develop another really bad gastric bleed and end up with a tube in where I can't speak clearly to, to say what my wishes are anymore or end up having a stroke and not being able to communicate my wishes anymore. And I could be stuck on life support and not be able to get off of it. Say what because, you want. Yeah. And that's something that for me personally is something I really did not want was to be stuck. So I chose very early on in the process that I need to get the paperwork done and the red tape out of the way so that I can feel comfortable enough to relax and really enjoy some last final moments with my family and friends and have the time that I need to be able to say goodbye and allow them time to process as well, because I realize it's really scary for them to have to say goodbye to me and process all of those emotions. So I wanted to give everybody the time that we needed to be able to have that um, and not have to worry that tomorrow I'm going to wake up in a totally different situation and I'm going to be trapped and not be able to access made anymore. Yeah, I think the the word that I that I hear that I heard there trapped, I I wouldn't want to be trapped in my body, and sometimes I feel trapped in my body now. But to the extent that I couldn't make a decision for myself, it puts things, it puts things in such a clear perspective. Now yeah. when you say it like that, it's like oh yeah, of course that's the way to go. Um, you know, looking at you on the screen right now to. To think that soon I won't be able to just Skype you up and have a conversation or send you a text and be like, how are you? That's hard for me, but that's me. That's, again, my emotions. And I like, when you say you don't want to be trapped, part of me is like, go oh, be free. Do it, like, make the decision so you're not stuck in an untenable position. And I don't think, I don't think that non-disabled folks and disabled folks who have different disabilities probably understand what it's like to be in a body that doesn't do what you want it to do and you need constant care. Like I think about my life as I get older, I'm going to need more care. And what if my gastro stuff gets worse? And what if like, I can't, what if I can't? And that's, that's, that's scary, but it's something that I'm thinking about given, we, given what we've just spoken about. I'm thinking about that now. Like, yeah, what if I what if I make the choice now so that later I'm not stuck? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been really surprised since I've become public and and put my post out there and let people know that I am in the well, at that point was in the process of applying for MAID. Now I, I have reached the point where I have been approved and I, I just need to choose a date. Um, but once I was public about that, um I was amazed at how many people reached out to me and friends from the disability community who had passed in the last five years. They said, well, you know, so-and-so access made. And I didn't know, like, there's so many of us that 
we're already using it and just not being public about it. Yeah. But it's happening. Like, and to me, I think it's such a, a comforting thing. And for a lot of years, I was able to go out there and live life and take risks because I knew that that option was there for me. Um, instead of just being fearful of it being this big, scary thing that, yes, it could be offered to people who shouldn't ha shouldn't have to go through it being offered to them. But it doesn't mean that those people can't just say no as well. And we should all have the right to choose a treatment or not. And to me, made is another treatment in a way. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think we all have to be as afraid of made as it's been made out to be over the years. What would you say to the news organizations in Canada that are constant whenever there's like somebody who's applied, it becomes a news story and then there's a GoFundMe and then people start raising money and talking about the system. And then we in the community get angry because again, the system is failing us. And how could you, how could you not like, again, and I, like I said earlier, I am guilty of this. Definitely for sure. Like, how could you not offer support before you offer death? But like, so, so that we can have a fair, balanced discussion on this topic within the disability com communities and without, with and outside of them, how would you? What would you say to the news organizations that are reporting on this? I don't know if for me, I would necessarily comment to the news organizations at all. I mean, I think they're just doing their job and reporting on the specific cases that become. A, a bigger uh, conversation and that we hear about more often. And yeah. that's kind of what media is for. I think it's more so a conversation that I'd say to public in general, whether it's disabled folks or non-disabled folks, I think we need to educate ourselves a little more on what the system actually is and what steps need to be taken for somebody to actually access MAID. Um, and I don't think that the conversation of made and the conversation of disability poverty and services offered should really be in the same sentence as much as it is. I mean, I understand why it's it's in the system and people uh, see it as a way that I'll try to access made because I can't get the care I, I need and deserve. But that was happening long before made was a thing. Yeah. We just suffered more in silence and couldn't talk about it in the same way. Um, but everybody was not getting the services they needed. And there were still all the same boundaries to accessing financial supports and self-managed care supports and family supports and caregiver supports and all of those things. That's not a new thing because of MAID. And MAID actually helped that along in a lot of ways because it was only in uh, 2021 with the, the Bill C-22 uh, that came into effect as they opened up Track 2, um, that a guaranteed disability income was ever suggested. That came in connection with MAID as a direct result to, we want to make sure that people aren't accessing MAID because they can't, live. They can't afford to live. So this bill, Bill c 22 was only ever suggested as a protection. And how many years have we as the disability 
community been fighting for a guaranteed basic income? And it doesn't, I, I recognize that doesn't fix all the problems either, but it's one big step that came about because of these conversations um, yeah. that would have never happened if the disability community didn't come about and start speaking to each other and pushing the government and media services more to have these conversations and tell our stories. Um, so I think it's really important that we recognize that it's not because of MAID that these problems are happening. Um, it's To me, it's two totally different conversations. People should be able to choose to live 100% and be supported in that. And people should also be able to choose that I've been fighting for over two decades every single day. And it was worthwhile while I had a quality of life. And when I don't have a quality of life anymore, I should be able to choose that that's enough for me. And my life was long enough and worthwhile enough. And I shouldn't have to waste away in suffering alone and in pain because you don't think made should exist. Those are two completely different conversations to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? The way you put it, again, so clear, so concise. It's honestly, you're changing the way that I've thought about this for a long time. And I thank you for that. Cause I really I came in with a I came in hot with a lot of like a lot of feelings about this what we're gonna do this interview today. But it's nice to like it's nice to have it kind of parsed out. Um you know, you talk a lot about the suffering, and I don't want to make you go into that too too far because I know it's a hard conversation, but I don't think people understand the level of suffering and pain and ableism that someone has to go through to get to this point. Can you, to the best of your ability, describe that for us a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, for me, there's a lot of different factors in that, but the biggest for me is the neurological pain that I've had um, since I was 16, so 22 years now. Uh, and that varies in intensity from day to day, but it's caused by tumors that are growing in my spine. Um, and those tumors are not only killing off the nerves so that my body doesn't function in the same way it used to. Um, so I can't use my lower limbs as well. Uh, I also have centers of the speech center of my brain, which are affected. So often I find it difficult to find words. I've forgotten names of people a lot of the time. I can forget my sister's name for hours or days at a time, um, which is really scary. Uh, but then there's also the, the physical pain of it that's caused by the nerves being killed. Um, the best way I can describe that is every time I move and every time I breathe, it feels as though the skin and tissue in my body is being ripped apart. Um, it's being stretched further than the elastic band should go. And that I haven't not felt that for 22 years, uh, every moment of every day. Then I also have uh, a separate grinding pain, I call it, in my legs and in my hands now, where the best way I've found to describe it is it feels like my limbs are going through a meat grinder. And you cannot convince me that my limbs are not being ripped apart, even though I can see that they're not, but that's what it feels like. And when it 
gets that bad. I can't move at all. Um, and yeah, just can't even lift my head a lot of days. Uh, and then there's a lot of other effects that have come as a result of a lot of the treatments that I've undergone for these, these tumors. So, right. uh, the gastric bleeds, uh, I have a paralyzed stomach as a result. So I don't absorb my nutrients and I don't digest my food very well. Um, and even before the gastric bleeds became really bad, uh, I lost a lot of weight and had to be very careful to balance what I was eating in a day to make sure I could get, get my basic nutrients. Um, yep. I've also had a lot of internal scar tissue from surgeries, uh, that's caused a lot of complications from that. Uh, I have, fun. I mean, not, yeah. in the same, not in the same drag I've had, I've had, um, what's it called? You know, not what's it called? The bands of scarring that like to yeah. go back together. I've had that. And I've had that. It's so fun when you all of a sudden wake up. And say, yeah, that's what they are. I've had that. That's real fun. Yeah. So, so there's so much that you've gone through, like just even, to, even describing that. And thank you so, for being so candid about it because I would never have known you were in that kind of pain. And, I, and that's, and all that pain I described was all the pain that I've suffered for the last 20 to 22 years. It's not the new stuff in the last 12 months that has gotten worse. That was just what I was living through normally and still holding down a job and functioning and advocating with that pain and just trying to put on the mask most days to seem like a, a typical or human being. And yeah trying to get through talk to me about that mask a bit because i think we all do it i certainly do it the more and more that i not so much with the cp because it's the cp is like my old friend that i'm used to for me yeah. but with, with the chronic illness and the ibs and the different things that i have going on with my gut i'm in pain constantly like we're sitting here right now and i kind of am, am happy not happy but i'm well yeah i'm happy that both of us are are in pain but we love each other enough that we're here doing this so that's kind of nice yeah Exactly. Um, yeah. And I don't think most people can understand that, that you can be in that level of pain and still function and still seem normal. Uh, like they, they expect that if somebody is really in that level of pain, then there'd be some way they could see it. But we, we've become really good at adapting and not showing externally that that pain is happening for us. And uh, not talking about it publicly and not not scaring people with it. Uh, so yeah, you become really good at at uh, finding ways to mask. And even to the fact that people that know me really well uh, will look at me and think I'm fine, but then they'll hear my voice change a little bit and they're like, "Oh, you're in pain, aren't you?" I'm like, yeah, it's really bad today. And you were like, yeah, I was the whole time, but I've just been holding yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. I, I've just finished that 18 hours of work. So now I can let it show a little bit. <laughs> well, uh, like I, I definitely understand the masking side of it. And I, I, you know, I think also that leads to a level of exhaustion that nobody gets. Like mm -hmm. having to put on that face and put on that smile and do your job or see a friend or just eat sometimes. Yeah can mm -hmm. be like fuck I just need to be done yeah. so so are you are you is it, is it like a big sigh of relief that you can just kind of let yourself be whatever you need to be now because the mask is off and you don't have to worry anymore I mean the mask definitely isn't off I still use it a lot um 
I'm using it right now. Uh, but there's a relief knowing that in the moments I can't hide it anymore, uh, because there's some symptoms I just can't mask uh, as much as I want to, that in the moments I can't hide it, it's okay now. Um, and people won't necessarily understand it, but I don't really care about that so much. It's more that I can just be me and, and I can mask when I want to, and I can be really sick when I need to and yeah. both are okay. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I like that you said that it's, you don't care about what other people think because it's not about them. It's about you. And I think that is, I think for us on the outside who care about you, that's hard because we want to make it about us and, Oh my God, I'm going to lose a friend. But you know, you've told me today that you're going to be in, you're not going to be in pain anymore. And there's something really freeing about that for me as your friend. You're like, oh, she's going to be okay. She'll be all right. Wherever she's going, it'll be great because she won't be hurting. That's great. Like, there's something yeah. great about that. And I mean, it is about you and everybody else as well. It's not just about me. Like, yes, this is my choice for the end of my life and I'm making it, but it affects everybody else as well. And I recognize that. And it has to be okay for the people around me to process that as well and and feel the sad moments and feel the scary moments and break down um, because they need that as much as I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were, not to make light of what we're talking about because it is a very heavy topic, but I want to bring some brevity in here because we've been going through a lot of dark stuff right now um we were joking on text the other day i was like so so what's what's going on and you said well i won't have to worry about 40 because i'm not gonna get there yeah and like that i mean i i remember getting that text and just laughing so hardly because like, well that's the case that's true like are you like are you gonna do some sort of celebration went to mark 40 or are you gonna just not that worry about it I mean, I don't feel like I get to celebrate 40 because I won't be alive when I'm 40. But I definitely want to celebrate where I am now. So I've thought about doing a lot of things like just because or like kind of not really a goodbye party, but some kind of event to mark where I am now in the life I've had and all the awesome people in it. But I don't feel like I have the right to celebrate 40 because I'm not going to get that. And that's a milestone that you achieve. Um, I encourage everybody else in my life to really celebrate it. Um, my partner is actually turning 40 next month. And uh, they weren't sure if they wanted to do anything. And I'm like, you have to. This is a huge milestone. Yeah, it's a big it, deal. It needs to be celebrated. Um, so yeah, they're going to do an awesome like drag circus burlesque show <laughs> that I'm going to get to watch Zoom, oh, at least. Um, yeah. And I've thought a lot about like what I wanted to do, but also realize the scary realization that I probably waited too long to get to celebrate in a lot of the ways I would have wanted to. Um, I'm an artist. I do circus and drag mostly um and i always wanted to do like a big celebratory show of my own and yes i could do still do that in certain ways and be there virtually 
but it's not that community feel all in the same room that I really yeah. wanted to. And that makes me sad for sure that I've waited too long to do that. So yeah, I think having those moments to remind other people to get out there and do it while they can is, is a really important one for me. And weird things come up too. Like when you're thinking about it, like I, for many years, I always wondered like, will I get to age? Because I knew with my illness, there was a good chance I wouldn't get to. And one of the things I always asked myself was like, well, what color hair will I have when I start to, to go gray? Like, will it be gray? Will it be white? Will it be silver? Because a lot of my grandparents had really awesome, but very different colored hair. And I always yeah. would wonder as a kid, like, which one will I get? And uh, for the last two years, I, I haven't done anything to color my hair. And I started seeing like just a few like white hairs in there. I'm like, well, at least I get to know what it would have been. Like yeah. I, I'm celebrating like the few white hairs I have. Um, but yeah, a lot of weird things like that come up when you start thinking about, I'm not going to get a future and I'm not going to get to think about these things. But then there's other like more relaxing things. Like I noticed a big mole changing on my arm the other day and it's like, well, don't need to worry about that anymore because that's <laughs> going to be what's going to kill me. So <laughs> and again i'm not laughing at that i'm not laughing at what we're talking about i'm laughing at just the the comedy in it um, yeah i mean you have to laugh at it too because it's just so ridiculous like you can't it's the same as disability you can't take it all seriously you have to laugh about those ridiculous moments i mean the the thing it makes me want to like jump out of the screen right now and hug you because i because <laughs> i want to be like you know let's find a way forward but you found the way forward and yeah and I just, I'm so thankful that that you're sitting with me right now to have an honest conversation because I think that, and I've said this like three times in this episode, but I don't care. Like, <laughs> like I think that it's so muddled from different vantage points on the screen that we forget that people are affected by this. Um, yeah. And it, it makes me proud that you've made that choice for yourself because... I don't want you to be in pain. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for any disabled person, frankly, um, or anyone, period. Um, do you, so I'm trying to think of other questions that I have for you. Um, do you have anything else that you want to bring up that we haven't talked about about it yet? I mean, I think it's just important to, to say, too, that like we all need to start having these conversations, not necessarily around MAID, but in depth about death in general, like how many people out there have had conversation with their friends and family about what they want their death to look like, or what they want their funeral to look like, or end of life planning in general. And it's coming for all of us, we're all going to go through it at some point or another, like, we need to start having these conversations. And MAID has been a real gift for me in a lot of ways that I've been forced to have these conversations with everyone in my life um and the beautiful moments that come out of that have been a real gift and I never have to wonder now if I'm gonna leave anything unsaid because I get to say it all to everybody and everybody gets to say it to me um yeah so that's been a, a real gift to know that I can have the conversations but also to encourage everybody else to have these conversations as well and I can plan not only what my final moments will look like, 
but also all those conversations leading up and really think about what I want to say to each person and each individual. Do you, and I know you said you had trouble eating and it's hard to eat because of all the gastric bleeding. Do you have like a, do you have like a meal that you're like, listen, I'm going out. So I'm going to, I'm going to get my favorite. I haven't thought of specific meal yet. Honestly, uh, to me, it's more so like, I'd love to have a big gathering with like the close people in my family, share food, share stories. Um, yeah. I mean, the way I kind of imagine it, although I don't think this will actually happen because it would probably be too much for my body the way it is now would be to like rent a huge cabin in the woods and invite like 30 or 40 of my closest. And we go there and like have the huge goodbye evening meal. And like, I get to stay up all night talking with everybody. And then in the morning, just get to bring everybody together in a huge room with like art and music and a bunch of pillows all over the place. And everybody just curl up around me in one big bed. And that's how I get to say goodbye. Like, that's kind of my ideal that I picture. I mean, I really like that. I mean, I think that's what we all picture our goodbye being like. Um, and I think that's really, that's really, that's what we all want. We want the people that we love around us. And I think for disabled folks, when death might come a little bit sooner or in a different way, like I, I hope anybody hearing this who knows you or who is in Halifax who can like make that cabin thing happen even virtually or some version of that, like <laughs> figure it out because I want that for you. Um, it's just a tough conversation because looking at you, like I know you're masking and I know you're holding on and I know you're like, I know all that, but again, me is like, what can I do? Well, how do I fix yeah. it? But you, you fix it for yourself. And that's <laughs> so it's hard. But yeah. I'm, so, I'm so thankful that you've put kind of a face to it in a way that was like, I'm not picking a side. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm yeah. telling you the truth what it has been for like for me. And I think people listening who have, you've changed my mind about it now. I was so staunchly like, how dare you put people in this position? And I'm like, you know what? If you got to go, I support it. If you need that for yourself and so you're not hurting, I support it. And it's, I think these conversations around dying with dignity or made or whatever we end up calling it eventually need to be, we need to have more of these. And like, part of me is like, maybe, maybe we have to have to have more discussions with different people and talking to you tonight. It's really kind of sparked that for me and wanting to keep these conversations going. Cause they're so, it's so valuable. We never think about how much somebody has to mask to be okay to the point where they're like, I just want to stop. Yeah. 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 Like, and, sorry, go ahead. No, go, you go first. I was just going to, I really had nothing just to, I'm just, I'm so grateful that you, I'm grateful that we're sitting here both in pain to having such a deep conversation. And like, I'm so thankful. When I, when I positioned this to you, I was so scared. I was like, what's she going to say? She's going to be upset. Like, what? I, and when you were like, oh, yeah, no, cool. I was, it's like okay, okay, because I was so like I don't want to make it. I don't want to make. I don't want to trivialize what we're talking about or make it part of content. But I think these conversations, the whole my whole podcast is about conversations about disability, 
sitting in the dark and by God, this one is always in the dark. And so <laughs> I'm so glad you've given light to it. Um, I'm going to be texting you a bunch, you know, <laughs> before the time comes because I value our friendship. Um, I'm just thankful that you've been able to put words to it. And the way you said that made is a gift. It's hard to hear, but I'm glad that you have the gift now. Yeah. And I, I think like a lot of what you just said is one of the main reasons I wanted to be public about this, not only to, to not have to mask that side of the end of my life, to be able to just be totally open and upfront about it uh, and to find support for myself and the people around me through it. But also I've been a disability advocate my entire adult life. And this was one conversation I had never heard happen before other than made is bad in the disability community. It's made as a, a tool to attack us. And that's the only way we can see it. Um, and I wanted to show that for me, that's not the case. Um, and there are probably other people out there who have felt the same way as me. So I want to be able to have these conversations openly and upfront um, and show another side of that experience. But also, I just don't know how to stop advocating and telling my story. And I think I'm going to do that until the very last day. Um, yeah, it's just all I know. So it's the only way I know to be. And we need that story. And we need you to advocate in your life, no matter how much longer it is. And to tell this story, it takes fucking courage and i don't mean that in like the this the disability inspiration porny kind of way it takes courage <laughs> to be like really blunt about this stuff and i was i was scared that i was gonna start blubbering in this call today but and i'm gonna blubber after don't worry but um i just value you and i value the the conversation and thank you for putting a light on it thank you for giving me another platform where i can because yeah, I think it's it makes me feel like I still have some value and still something to give when I can put some of my last words out there again. Um, yeah, it's really meaningful. And I think what you're saying too about like you were afraid that you were going to break down and start crying. Like one thing I've learned is you're we're all going to do that, especially when talking about such big topics and. I can be crying and angry and happy and excited and all of those emotions at the exact same time. And there's room for all of them at once. And especially when it's such a big topic. Yeah. Yeah. And you've opened the door to just to humanize it for me. And I've said this a bunch already today. And I know if you're listening, you've like, Andrew, you've said it five times. I know in social media land made you're right. It's been so divisive in our community, but you've really helped for me anyway, to put a face on it and a, a different and emotions behind it that aren't just this thing. Now it's like this opportunity for people to be out of pain. That's a great thing. Yeah. And I think the, the argument uh, against bill C seven for so long to me, that's, it's another way of infantilizing folks with disabilities and telling us we can't make our choices for ourselves. Like, I should be able to choose for my own body. And that includes, I should be able to choose my own death. I mean, um, 
it sounds like you already did before made was a thing. You were like, I've already, I've already planned it out. If I got to go that way, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, I had chosen that, but with the understanding that one, it would be illegal. I'd be breaking the law. And two, that I would never be able to tell anybody and say goodbye to anybody. So to me, this is the piece that I get to share this with people and with the world. And I don't have to hide my goodbyes. Um, Yeah, which I mean, I've been in a lot of other situations through this illness where I thought it was in my final days and writing letters out to people because I couldn't be open about uh, uh, saying a real goodbye because then they'd think that I had given up and I'd be more decisions would be taken away from me. Uh, So having the freedom to just be upfront and say, this is what I want to tell you. It's, it's been really awesome and amazing. And it's yeah. Given me autonomy over my body in another way. And that's the part that I think we're missing and we don't often talk about it enough. And that's the part that I think is so important and all the parts today, the masking, the, the fatigue that you're going through with all this stuff, like the losing ability and having that scare you and being like, what are my options? Like, all of that, all the things you said today are so important. Um, and I am honored that these words will live on the show for a long time after both of us are gone, um, hopefully. And if, you know, and after the time comes for you, people are still going to be able to hear your voice and be like, I listened to April say those things and it may change my perspective. That's power. That's like, wow. Um, and I really appreciate that from you. Thank you. I, I hope it does. I have no other things, no other like questions for you. You kind of answered all the things for me. Um, and I just like, I just enjoy sitting with you and chatting. So it was, it was it's, I, it's hard to transition from like, that's like, how's your day? What's, what's going on? But, <laughs> but I appreciate you. Um, and thank you so much for being so vulnerable and so real about it and just being honest. I think we don't hear enough about it in the disability space. I feel like the disability space, especially on social media, can often be full of toxic positivity and so much ability that there's no room for disability. But this was a nice kind of like reminder that it looks different for all of us. Yeah, it really does. And I hope that everybody out there starts having conversations about life and death with the people that are around them. Um, and also at the same time starts really advocating more for proper supports for people in the disability community, um, because that's an, another important conversation that needs to continue as well. It's just for me, not tied to the main discussion. Yeah, I like that. And advocate them, you know, let's just say what it is. Advocate for them to be allowed to, to die when they want to be because they're hurting that needs to be part of it too. And, and, you know, you really changed. I'm going to, the next time I post about made, I'm going to change the way I talk about it. And that's all thanks to this right now. So I really appreciate the time and the candidness with which you did that. Um, How can the people for the time being until the, until the moment comes, how can the people get a hold of you? Um, They can follow me uh, on Facebook still at April Hubbard. Uh, or they can uh, follow me on Instagram at Stronger on Wheels. Uh, and I will have uh, 
have my sister and my partner monitoring monitoring those accounts after I'm gone for a period of time. Uh, so you'll still be able to reach out for a bit. Um, yeah. All right. Well, April Hubbard, uh, this is not goodbye because you and I personally are going to talk about talk over text for until the until the moment comes. I hope. Um, thank you for being here and for being so real about medical assistance and dying. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Andrew. And thank you for your friendship over the years and all that you've done as an advocate for all of us in the disability community. Because it, it really does mean a lot. It continues to be and will be my pleasure. Um, <laughs> I'm going to cry. Uh, so, so we're ending the thing now. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks for being here. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Well, that was quite the episode to record. It was really, really important and really, really hard to talk to a friend of mine who is here right now and who's made the choice to end their life because of the pain they're in. And it just makes me think about how many of us with disabilities live in pain every day and we put the mask on and we smile and do our job and we work and we make art and we perform and we perform wellness for people. And it just uh, the conversation with Abel really made me think about all those things, and how my, how so many of us are concealing that because we want to have a life and we want to find disabled joy, and sometimes disabled joy is letting go and knowing when it's time to say I've had enough, and I think April does that really beautifully here. Just as I was putting this last bit together, April reached out to me and said that when she was being assessed for made by the two different assessors, they did offer her other treatment options and they did go over other treatment possibilities with her, which she readily declined because she was in pain. So she wanted to make clear to all of you that she it was a very arduous process for her. It wasn't something that she thought about on a whim, as you heard her say in the interview, um, but she wanted to make clear that she was offered other treatments, which, because of her pain level and her understanding of her own body, she declined. I hope that all of you listening to this interview today really thought about April's story a bit and thought about MAID and what it means and why it's an important option. I do hope that some of you who are in Canada and who know about MAID and who kind of know how it's been rolled out, listened to April's story and thought thought about kind of the, the emotional track of all that. And I think what she did really beautifully here was bring some humanity to it. And I was really, I'm really, really honored that I got to be, speak with her. I hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks, friends. All right, friends. Well, there goes another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories with me, your host, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my social media, Andrew Gerza 6 on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, although I never use it. If you want to follow my website and find out about my speaking opportunities, my gigs, and ways to have me come to your event, go to www.andrewgerza.com. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and you can get the show days early, completely ad-free, and a shout-out on the air. 
So if you want to support the show, you're able to do that. And please, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. It really does help shows like this about disability, which are very rare, get supported. Thank you so much for being with us and stay comfy, cozy, and crippled. Until next time. Bye. Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co-Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2023.